Hello everyone, I'm Bob Kieser. This is the Son of Man Urentia Project. Today's episode is Chapter 48 Last Teaching at Pella. Jesus and the Ten Apostles made it to the Pella camp late Monday evening, March 6th. This was Jesus' last week at the camp. He spent his time teaching the crowds during the afternoons and the apostles and the other advanced disciples during the evening. The news about resurrecting Lazarus had reached the camp two days before Jesus and the crew arrived, and the entire assembly of believers was aroused. Not since Jesus had fed the 5,000 had anything so exciting happened. This was the peak of his second phase of public ministry, and Jesus' plan was to teach at Pella and then begin his last excursion into southern Peria that led right up to the final tragic, tragic experiences of the last week in Jerusalem. The Jewish religious leaders had started to build their case against Jesus and agree on their accusations. They objected to Jesus' teachings on the following grounds. One, he is friends with sinners and tax collectors. He receives the ungodly and even eats with them. Two, he blasphemies. He disrespects God. He talks about God being his father, and he thinks that he is equal with God. Three, he breaks our laws. He heals disease on the Sabbath, and in many other ways flouts the sacred law of Israel. Four, he is in partnership with devils. He works wonders and apparently does miracles by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Parable of the Lost Son On Thursday afternoon, Jesus told the crowd about the grace of salvation. In the course of this sermon, he retold the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and then added his favorite parable of the prodigal or reckless son. Jesus said, You have been scolded by the prophets from Samuel to John that you should look for God, that you should search for the truth. They have always said, Look for the Lord while he may be found. And all teachings like that should be taken to heart. But I have come to show you that while you are looking for, to find God, God in the same way is looking to find you. Many times I have told you the story about the good shepherd who left the 99 sheep in the fold while he went out looking for the one that was lost, and how, when he found the strange sheep, he laid it over his shoulder and tenderly carried it back to the fold. And when the lost sheep had been brought back to the fold, you remember that the good shepherd called in his friends and urged them to rejoice with him over finding the sheep that had been lost. 
Again, I say, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just people who need no repentance. The fact that souls are lost only increases the interest of the Heavenly Father. I have come to this world to do my Father's bidding, and it is true when they say that the Son of Man is a friend of sinners and tax collectors. You have been taught that divine acceptance, God's love and forgiveness, comes after you repent and is based on your shame and works of sacrifice. But I assure you, the Father accepts you even before you have repented and sends the Son and his helpers to find you and bring you with rejoicing back to the fold, the kingdom of sonship and spiritual progress. You are all like sheep that have gone astray, and I have come to look for and to save those who are lost. And you should also remember the story of the woman who had ten pieces of silver made into a fancy necklace, and how when she lost one piece, she lit the lamp and carefully swept the house, keeping up her search until she found the lost piece of silver. As soon as she found it, she called her friends and neighbors over to the house, saying, Celebrate with me, because I have found the piece that was lost. So again I say, there is always joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to the Father's fold. And I tell you this story to impress on you that the Father and his Son go out to search for those who are lost. And in this search, we use anything capable of helping us in our persistent effort to find those who are lost, those who are in need of salvation. And so, while the Son of Man goes out in the wilderness to look for the sheep that has gone astray, he also looks for the coin that is lost in the house. The sheep unintentionally, unintentionally wanders away. The coin is covered with the dust of time and hidden by the things of men. And now I want to tell you the story of a thoughtless son of a well-to-do farmer who deliberately left his father's house and went off into a foreign land where he fell into a lot of misfortune. You recall that the sheep strayed away without intention, that it did not mean to get lost. But this youth left a home with premeditation. He knew, or thought he knew, what he was doing. The tale goes like this. Jesus said. A certain man had two sons. One, the youngest, was carefree and lighthearted and always looking for a good time as he shirked his responsibilities. His older brother was sober, serious, hardworking, and willing to bear his responsibility. Now these two brothers did not get along well together. They were always quarreling. The younger lad was cheerful, but unreliable. The older son was industrious, but surly, conceited, and self-centered. The younger son enjoyed play, but shunned work. 
The older son devoted himself to work, but seldom played. Their relationship became so disagreeable that the younger son went to his father and said, Father, give me a third of your possessions that would be mine and allow me to go out into the world to seek my own fortune. And when the father heard this request, knowing how unhappy the young man was at home and with his older brother, he divided his property and gave the youth his share. Within a few weeks, the young man took all of his money and set out on a journey to a far country. And finding no work that was also fun, he soon wasted all of his inheritance partying. And when he had spent all of it, a famine hit the country, and he found himself in desperate straits. And so, when he was starving and destitute, he took a job with a citizen who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And the young man would have filled himself with the husks that the pigs ate, but no one would give him anything. One day, when he was starving, he said to himself, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare while I die of hunger, feeding pigs out here in a foreign country? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no more worthy to be called your son. Only be willing to make me one of your hired servants. And when a young man had reached this decision, he got up and started out for his father's house. Now his father had grieved much over his son. He missed the cheerful, though thoughtless lad. This father loved his son and was always on the lookout for his return. So on the day that the son came home, even while he was still far off, the father saw him and moved with love. He ran out to meet him and greeted him and embraced and kissed his son. And after they had met, the son looked up into his father's tearful face and said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no more worthy to be called a son. But the lad could not complete his confession because the overjoyed father told the servants who had by this time come running up, Quickly, bring my son's best robe, the one I have saved for him, and put it on him, and put the son's ring on his hand, and fetch sandals for his feet. And then, after the fa happy father had led the footsore and weary lad into the house, he again called to his servants, Bring on the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and make merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they all gathered around the father to celebrate with him over the return of his son. About this time, while they were partying, the older son came in from working in the field all day. 
And when he got home, he heard the music and the dancing. And when he went up to the back door, he called one of the servants outside and asked him what was happening. And the servant said, Your long-lost brother has come home, and your father has killed the fatted calf to rejoice over his son's safe return. Come in that you can also greet your brother and welcome him back into your father's house. But when the older brother heard this, he was so hurt and angry, he would not go into the house. When his father heard that he resented him, welcoming home his brother, he went out to beg him. But the older son would not give in to his father's arguments. He answered his father, saying, All of these many years I have served you, never breaking the least of your commands. And yet you never gave me a kid so I could have a party with my friends. I have stayed here to care for you all of these years, and you never had a party over my faithful service. But when this son returns, having wasted your money with prostitutes, you quickly kill the fatted calf and have a feast for him. Since his father truly loved both his sons, he tried to reason with his older one. But my son, you have been with me the whole time, and all that I have is yours. You could have had a kid at any time if you would have had friends to share your enjoyment. But it is only right that you should now join me in being happy because your brother has returned. Think of it, my son. Your brother was lost, and he is found. He has returned to us alive. This was one of the most touching and effective of all of the parables that Jesus ever used to impress on his listeners, the Father's willingness to receive everyone who seeks entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was very partial to telling these three stories at the same time. He used the story of the lost sheep to show that when men unintentionally stray away from the path of life, the Father is mindful of such lost ones and goes out with his sons, who are the true shepherds of the flock, to seek the lost sheep. Then he would recite the story of the, of the coin that was lost in the house to show how through the divine to show how thorough the divine searching is for everyone who is confused or otherwise spiritually blinded by the material cares and possessions of this life. And then he would launch into telling this parable of the lost son, the reception of the returning prodigal, to show how complete the restoration of the lost son is into his father's heart and house. Many, many times during his teaching, Jesus told and retold this story of the prodigal or reckless son. This story and the parable of the Good Samaritan were his favorite means of teaching the love of the father and the friendliness of men. Parable of the Shrewd Steward 
One evening, Simon Zelotes, commenting on one of Jesus' statements, said, Master, what did you mean today when you said that many of the children of the material world are wiser in their generation than are the children of the kingdom, since they are skillful, profiting in unrighteous ways? And Jesus said, Some of you, before you entered the kingdom, were very shrewd in dealing with your business associates. If you were unjust and often unfair, you were still prudent and far-seeing because you conducted your business with your eye focused on your present profit and future safety. In the same way, you should now arrange your lives in the kingdom to provide for your present joy while you also secure your treasures in heaven. If you were so careful in making a profit when you were working for yourselves, why would you show less care in gaining souls for the kingdom, since you are now servants in the brotherhood of man and as stewards of God? You can all learn a lesson from the story of a certain rich man who had a shrewd but unjust steward. This man had not only squeezed his master's clients for his own selfish gain, but he had also wasted his master's money. When all of this finally got to his master's ears, he called the steward before him and asked him what these rumors meant. Then he told the steward to give him an immediate accounting of his books and to prepare to turn his master's affairs over to another person. Now, this unfaithful steward began to ask himself, What will I do since, I'm, since I am about to lose this stewardship? I do not have the strength to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I know what I will do to make certain that, when I am fired from this job, I will be welcomed into the houses of all who do business with my master. And then, Calling in each of his lord's debtors, he said to the first one, How much do you owe, my master? And he answered, A hundred measures of oil. Then the steward said, Take your waxboard bond, sit down quickly, and change it to fifty. Then to another he said, How much do you owe? And he replied, A hundred measures of wheat. Then the steward said, Take your bond and write four score. And he did this with many other debtors. And so did this dishonest steward look to make friends for himself after he would be fired from his stewardship. Even his lord and master, when he later found out about this, had to admit that his unfaithful steward had at least shown wisdom and how he went about providing for future days of need. And it is in this way that the sons of God of this world sometimes show and it is in this way that the sons of this world sometimes show more wisdom in preparing for the future than do the children of light. I am telling you who are acquiring treasure in heaven. Take lessons from those who make friends with the mammon of unrighteousness, 
In other words, those who are okay with dishonest ways of making money. And in the same way, live your lives so that you make an eternal friendship with the forces of righteousness. So, when all the things on earth fail, you will be joyfully received into the eternal kingdom. I confirm that he who is faithful in little will also be faithful in much, while he who is unrighteous in little will also be unrighteous in much. If you have not shown foresight and integrity in the affairs of this world, how can you hope to be faithful and prudent when you are trusted with the stewardship of the true riches of the heavenly kingdom? If you are not good stewards and faithful bankers, if you have not been faithful in what is another's, you will, who will be foolish enough to give you great treasure that is in your own name? And I again assert that no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one while he despises the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. When the Pharisees who were present heard this, they began to sneer since they were well intent on becoming rich. These unfriendly listeners tried to get Jesus to argue, but he refused to debate with his enemies. When the Pharisees fell to wrangling among themselves, their commotion attracted a lot of the other people camped out in the area. When they all began to argue with each other, Jesus left and went to his tent for the night. The Rich Man and the Beggar when the meeting became too noisy, Simon Peter stood up and took charge, saying, Men and friends, it does not look good to fight among yourselves. The master has spoken, and you do well to ponder his words. And this is no new doctrine that he has told you. Have you not also heard the story of the Nazarites and the rich man and the beggar? Some of us heard John the Baptist Thunder this parable, warning those who love riches and want dishonest wealth. And while this whole parable is not according to the gospel we preach, you would all do well to heed its lessons until you understand the new light of the kingdom of heaven. The story, as John told it, went like this. There was a certain rich man named Dives, who, being dressed in fine purple, lived in joy and splendor every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, who laid at this rich man's gate, covered with sores and wanting to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And yes, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And after some time, the beggar died and was carried away by the angels to rest in Abraham's bosom. And then, presently, this rich man also died, and was buried with great pomp and regal splendor. When the rich man departed from this world, he woke up in Hades, and finding himself suffering, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus in his bosom.
And then Dives cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus over here so he can dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I am suffering a lot because of my punishment. And then Abraham replied, My son, you should remember that in your lifetime you enjoyed the good things, while Lazarus, in like manner, suffered the evil. But now all of this is changed, seeing that Lazarus is comforted while you are tormented. And besides, between us and you, there is a great gulf so that we cannot go to you. Neither can you come over to us. Then Dives said to Abraham, I pray you send Lazarus back to my father's house, because I have five brothers, so that he can tell them what has happened to me, and to prevent them from coming to this place of torment. But Abraham said, My son, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him or them. And then Dives answered, No, no, Father Abraham, if but one goes to tell them from the dead, they will repent. And then Abraham said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even if one were to rise from the dead. After Peter had recited the Nazarite Brotherhood's ancient parable, and since the crowd had quieted down, Andrew got up and let them go for the night. Although both the apostles and his disciples frequently asked Jesus questions about the parable of Dives and Lazarus, he never agreed to comment on it. The Father and His Kingdom Jesus always had trouble explaining to the apostles that while they were announcing the establishment of the kingdom of God, the Father in heaven was not a king. At the time that Jesus lived on earth and taught in the flesh, the people of Urantia knew mostly of kings and emperors, and the Jews had long contemplated the coming of the kingdom of God. For these and other reasons, the Master thought best to designate the spiritual brotherhood of man as the kingdom of heaven, and the spirit head of this brotherhood as the Father in heaven. Never did Jesus reply to his Father as a king. In his intimate talks with the apostles, he always referred to himself as the Son of Man and as their elder brother. He portrayed all of his followers as servants of humanity and as, and as messengers of the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus never gave his apostles a systematic lesson concerning the personality of the Father in heaven. He never asked men to believe in his Father. He took it for granted that they did. Jesus never belittled himself by offering arguments and proof of the reality of the Father. His teachings regarding the Father all centered on the declaration that he and the Father are one, that he who has seen the Father has 
that he who has seen the Son has seen the Father, that the Father, like the Son, knows all things, that only the Son and he whom the Son reveals the Father really knows the Father, that he who knows the Son knows also the Father, and that the Father sent him into the world to show humanity their combined natures and work. He never made other statements about his father except to the Sumerian woman at Jacob's well when he stated, God is spirit. You learn about God from Jesus by observing the divinity of his life, not by depending on his teachings. From the master's life, you can each embrace the idea of God that best fits with your ability to understand divine and spiritual truths, truths that are real and divine. The finite can never hope to understand the infinite, except how was brought forth the earthly personality during the human life of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus well knew that God can only be known through experience, that God can never be understood simply by learning about him. Jesus taught his apostles that, while they could never fully understand God, they could most certainly know him, even as they had known the Son of Man. You can know God not by understanding what Jesus said, but by knowing what Jesus was. Jesus was a revelation of God. Except when quoting the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus only referred to deity by two names, God and Father. And when Jesus referred to his Father as God, he usually used the Hebrew word that represented the plural God, the Paradise Trinity, and not the word Yahweh, which stood for the progressive idea of the Jewish tribal God. Jesus never called the Father a king, and he, was very, and he very much regretted that the Jewish hope for a restored kingdom and John's announcement of a coming kingdom made it necessary for him to reduce the importance of his proposed spiritual brotherhood of the kingdom of heaven. With the one exception, his declaration that God is spirit, Jesus never referred to deity in any other manner than in terms that described his own personal relationship with the first source and center of paradise. Jesus used the word God to show the idea of deity and the word Father to describe the experience of knowing God. When the word Father is used to represent God, the word Father should be understood in its greatest possible meaning. The word God cannot be defined, so it stands for the infinite concept of the Father. While the term Father has many levels of meaning, so it can be used to show man's idea of God during the time of mortal existence. To the Jews, 
Elohim was the God of gods, while Yahweh was the God of Israel. Jesus accepted the concept of Elohim and called this supreme group of beings God. In the place of the concept of Yahweh, the racial God, he introduced the idea of the fatherhood of God and the worldwide brotherhood of men. He raised the Yahweh idea of a deified racial father to the idea of a father of all of the children of men, a divine father of the individual believer. And he further taught that this God of universes and this father of all men were one and the same paradise deity. Jesus never claimed to be the manifestation of the God Elohim in the flesh. He never declared that he was a revelation of the God Elohim to the worlds. He never taught that he who had seen him had seen the God Elohim. But he did say that he was a revelation of the Father in the flesh. And he did say that those who had seen him had seen the Father. As the divine Son, he claimed to represent only the Father. He was, indeed, the son of even Elohim God, but in the likeness of mortal flesh and to the mortal sons of God, he chose to limit his life revelation to showing his father's character in such a way that the revelation could be understood by mortal man. Regarding the character of the other persons of the Paradise Trinity, we will have to be content with the teaching that they are altogether like the Father, who has been revealed in the life of his incarnated Son, Jesus of Nazareth. Although Jesus revealed the true nature of the Heavenly Father in his earth life, he taught little about him. In fact, he only taught two things, that God is himself spirit, and that in all relationships with his creatures, he is a Father. On this evening, Jesus made the final statement about his relationship with God when he said, I have come out from the Father, and I have come into the world. Again, I will leave the world and go to the Father. But listen up, all of you. Jesus never said, Whoso has heard me has heard God. But he did say, He who has seen me has seen the Father. To hear Jesus' teachings is not equivalent to knowing God, but to see Jesus is an experience that is itself a revelation of the Father to the soul. The God of universes rules the far-flung creation, but it is the Father in heaven who sends forth his Spirit to dwell in your minds. Jesus is the spiritual lens and human likeness that makes him who is invisible visible to the material creature. He is your elder brother who, in the flesh, makes known to you a being of infinite attributes that not even the celestial host can say they fully understand. But all of this must happen in the personal experience of the individual believer. God, who is spirit, can be known only as a spiritual experience. God can be revealed to the finite sons of the material worlds by the divine son of the spiritual realm only as a father.
You can know the Eternal as a Father. You can worship Him as the God of universes, the infinite Creator of all existences. Okay, everyone, that's it for Chapter 48. Last teaching at Pella. Coming up in a few days is Chapter 49. The Kingdom of Heaven. Defend liberty. Protect those kids. Get out there and find some way to serve man, nothing more or less, in the sake of God. We got this, people. Bobby Keezer, out here.